quick content warning. Uh, this episode contains mentions of suicide, depression, um, violence, and death of young people, uh, as well as mention of homophobia. Hi, and welcome back to Queerly, a podcast uh, where I, Jackie, and my co-host Liz typically talk about uh, LGBTQ plus uh, and mental health representation and depictions in media, um, and sometimes just stuff we want to talk about. Uh, today's one of those days. I'm doing a bit of a solo uh, episode going over uh, Stranger Things Season 4, Volume 2, which is episode eight and nine so of course if you haven't seen those huge spoiler warning um also that little jingle at the beginning trying some new things out we'll see what happens um i'm not fully i'm not fully uh pleased with it yet but uh you know i threw it together real quick um thought it'd be nice to have something you know all right so um also wanted to uh remind everyone that if you have a topic that you'd like suggest or just comments you'd like uh for us to see uh you can head on over to queerlyapodcast.com and we have a contact form there and so it doesn't record anything it doesn't take your email or anything you can literally just put in whatever you want um and then we'll be able to see it there's also some list of future episode topics there if you'd like to look at those as well as access to all of our um episodes on different platforms and working on a bio section. We're getting there. Alright, so last last warning for anyone who has not yet seen episodes 8 and 9 of Stranger Things Season 4. Or, I guess they call them uh, book 4, chapter 4. I don't know. They call them something different. Um, okay, so I, I went through and rewatched these and took notes. So... First thing I want to do is just say how amazing these subtitles are. So I'm one of those people who, when I first watch something, I if it's in a language I understand, I don't watch it with subtitles just because I am one of those people who likes to really like try to look at all the details and stuff that are on this actual screen. And with subtitles, even though they don't pull in my full attention, it does pull my attention in terms of I will look at the text immediately before... Uh, they're finished talking about it, or I'll miss some small things because of it. Um, I also just like to see the frame unobscured, I guess. Um, Because, you know, I'm pompous. Um, (laughs) But, um, so I first watched it without subtitles. Then, I when upon rewatches, I almost always will watch with subtitles just to see if there's anything I missed, or if I heard dialogue wrong. Um, And the person who did and this is this is for the entirety of the season um of uh, stranger things season four these subtitles were amazing i mean there there are plenty of posts and stuff about this um but i wrote down some of the ones i really liked and thought were either disgustingly accurate or just really funny um here let me go on through my notes uh where are we? Ah, here's one. Delicate yearning music. We got Sinister Industrial Synth Music, which is my new band name. Uh, we have... Hold on. Disconcertingly Jaunty Music. 
we have da, 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 intense industrial synth music, ominous percussive music, dire choral vocalizations, ominous dirge, hard, hand unfurls creakily, sinister vocalizations. Oh, this one, this one's probably one of my favorites, if not my favorite. Icarus tentacles constrict. Oh, so good. And very accurate to the situation. Uh, dissonant gibbering. Um, this, this one, I, I was surprised was in there. It was, um, so without getting too into it, because I'm going to do that in a tiny bit. Um, that was when, uh, Dustin is running out and Eddie's being attacked by the bats. He hears dissonant gibbering. Um, then we have plaintive piano line, flesh rending, menacing audio distortions. Uh, we have nightmarish howl. We have, da, da, da. I think actually nope. That's that's all the ones I wrote down. There are so many more. There's a post. There's a great post. Um, I forget who it's by. On, on the subreddit where it's all the variations of just synth music and there's probably like at least 20. It's amazing. Um, so first of all, that. Um, and then just in general, acting is top notch as always, especially from, I mean, not especially, but the adults, they're, they're well-established people at this point in the industry. Like they're, you know that they're going to give a great performance. Um, uh, so, David Harbour, Winona Ryder, everyone, yeah. Um, and, uh, there's, I gotta, I gotta specifically say, with Natalia Dyer, who plays Nancy, her, I, I had watched an interview with, um, with the Duffer brothers about why they had, um, one, or Vecna or Henry, um, basically give exposition to uh, Nancy out of all the characters and they said essentially because Natalia is such a good facial like emotion um, actress and it's true if you keep an eye on like her her facial acting throughout the show um, is amazing like you can you can read the entire uh, thought process that's going on in Nancy's head as well as all the little nuances just from her facial expressions and eyes it's crazy um, okay other some other general little things um as a new okay i i'm a new englander so you know i'm used to like hot humid weather or really cold and dry weather yes i was i was adopted from southern vietnam so you know that more heat i my body doesn't like the heat but um yeah I, i'm equipped for heat however however look at the outfits that all of the kids and and Joyce and stuff are wearing while in California. Um, it is spring. It is spring break, so fair. It's a little chillier. Then they go into the Nevada desert, and they are all still wearing pants, long sleeve shirts, and outerwear, including like not just not like windbreaker outerwear, like actual like sweaters and jackets. And I don't, I don't understand how anyone does that. Um, that is horrifying to me. Um, like, I, uh, how, how are you not, I was, yesterday here, it was really warm. I was outside, like, 
uh, biking for like an hour, I actually might have gotten some mild heat stroke, uh, lesson learned. Um, but I was sweating like I was, went to a water park. Like, I don't, I don't understand how y'all, y'all on the West Coast are fucking nutty. Um, okay. And then let's see any more. Oh, another general thing. I, for some reason, I thought the Demogorgon, like this whole time, was kind of a dark gray, like slightly more reddish fleshy uh, color. I guess, I think because of the lighting that they use, um, because in the earlier seasons, especially, you only see it in darker lighting, in, in part to help with the tone that they had then, as well as because it was on a much tighter budget. Um, and so lighting lends a ton to the look of CGI and how uh, convincing it will be. Um, so I guess that was the case, because when they, when they first described the monster as, like, white-skinned, um, in the Russia bit, I was kind of confused, and then I saw it, and I realized I'm just stupid. Um, alright, so, I guess we will get into more specifics. So, I'm just gonna go through my notes, essentially going from the beginning of episode 8 into episode 9, so, these were taken in chronological order, um, I don't think there's really a better way to organize them, so that's what we're doing. Okay, so, first of all, yeah, the pacing already has been kind of weird from the Russia end of things. In terms of, like, the way they've been doing the plots this season, I'm not a huge fan of how they're handling all of them and the pacing of each one. So, I, I think it stems from the fact that the Hawkins, um, the Hawkins plot is... Very, it's very obviously the main plot. Um, it's the one that's dealing with the main um, obstacle of the season and ties into the previous seasons the most. Um, but the thing is with the Russia and California subplots, or plots, I guess, um, while they on their own are good, they don't at all relate to the Hawkins ultimate plot you know so they're not working towards even if it were let's say in california if l had learned about um the issues going on in hawkins and gone and gotten to the um gotten to brenner's lab earlier before i think it was episode five or six um that would have helped a lot for that pacing because it feels like before that, you know, you have people dying in Hawkins, and yeah, you have Jim Hopper is in Russian prison, which sucks. But, like, with California, they, yeah, Jane L., she kind of, she kind of uh, roller skated a girl in the head, but it's not, it doesn't feel as life or death, since, you know, there's no people getting killed in that one. So it, it just feels so, it feels like the pacing kind of, came to a halt at times with that. Um, and the, the Russia plot, I, I know some people really liked it. I think if it were its own show, it would be great. I think, I personally, I, it's just not the type of, uh, story that I really come to Stranger Things to watch, I guess. Um, so I always got, kind of bored with it. I honestly, during um, some of my rewatches, I just skipped fully through the Russia plot um, until at least like the last uh, two episodes for volume two, because that's when volume two, I will say, 
Uh, it has a bit of a leg up on volume one in terms of the, um, in some parts, the pacing, because all three plots are converging. They're all working toward the same main end goal, which is nice. Um, so it helps when it cuts to a different plot from one, well, from one plot to a different plot. And you don't feel as though everything's come to a halt because you are now seeing another team, uh, on uh, just another side of the same battle, essentially. Um, but yeah, Russia, I, I'm like, I, I'm the type of person who fell asleep during Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. I, I mean, I enjoy myself some like espionage spy stuff, but I'm not a huge fan, nor am I a huge fan of things like, um, like, uh, oh, why, why can't I think of the name right now? Uh, it's not, it's not Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That's no Shawshank Redemption. That's what it is. Um, so I'm not a huge fan of those types of movies. Um, so I think it was more just personal thing, though. I know a lot of people kind of felt the same. Um, it just, it, it also just dragged on for a while, I think. Um, though the, uh, new characters that they introduced, I like a lot. Um, and you have the guy who played, um, uh, the faceless man or one of the faceless men in Game of Thrones. So that was a nice, that was, it was weird seeing him. At first I wasn't sure if it was him because the hair is so different. But then once you like isolate just the face, you can tell. Um, okay. And then going on from here, the scene with Will in the back of the van with Mike, that, oh my God, my heart, like, holy shit. He, I wish they had given more scenes in volume one for um, Noah Schnapp, who's Will's actor, to kind of show off his chops like this. Um, and same with Mike, who's played by Finn Wolfhard. Um, I just wish they had more. They, they didn't feel like really full characters in volume one, I suppose, or at least not to the point I would have hoped. Um, but here they, they definitely, they feel like they are their characters again uh, essentially and oh you feel the the pain <laughs> you feel the pain in both Will's voice and face when he's talking about this stuff obviously referring to the fact that he's feeling all of these emotions and has felt these emotions for Mike rather than it being L which is his excuse um and honestly like I know that and I, I'll talk about this more later I know that some people aren't happy about the um the way that the quote-unquote coming out plot um, has unfurled. This part, I actually am okay with. I, I like I like that it is showing this obvious, like, um, it's obvious sort of emotion in a way that's not, it doesn't, doesn't feel forced. Um, like, a lot of coming out scenes feel really forced because it's like, oh, we have to put them in a position where they will have to blurt it out either because they're being pressured or they are basically being forced by the script. Um, I don't know. That's, that's how I felt about a lot of them. But the, the one here, I think the, the fact that Jonathan notices is really good because that leads up to a talk that'll go on more later in, um, the second episode. Um, but I'm okay. I'm okay with the way that they've portrayed Will on on that side. I I am I do have slight worry about the lack of it being explicitly romantic. Um, 
attraction because of, as I've, I've previously mentioned this uh, in some other episodes, but basically if you don't explicitly say it, it means that those who disagree with or condemn that type of behavior uh, can basically say, no, it doesn't exist here. You are just pushing your agenda onto it, essentially. And that can be really harmful. But it also is kind of, in this case, I feel like good writing. I mean, it's hard. It's hard balance to strike, you know. Um, but we're going to move on there. The score. So I'm a big, I'm a big music person as well as like technical side of things person. Um, and so there are some certain pieces from the score of uh, Stranger Things all seasons that uh, you can actually pick up on recurring here. So the motifs and everything. So in that scene with Will, there's a, there are some motifs that almost sound like a mix of eulogy, which is a piece originally used after Bob's death in season two. And then the kids or the kids theme, which is now in season four, labeled as teens. Um, and so I think it's kind of it's it's symbolic of what's going on. The the change from when they were children and again, calling back to that scene where um, where Will and Mike had the argument about not being able to just stay kids um, and and the whole it's not my fault that you don't like girls thing. Um and so, and the eulogy, obviously, it's kind of like death of childhood, you know? And having to be exposed to the harshness of growing up. So I thought that was really good use of score. Um, the young elf CGI, I'd say it looks pretty good. I think the thing that, that uh, limits it and makes it look a tiny bit wonky at times is the fact we have seen a very young uh, Millie Bobby Brown in the first season. So we do know what she looks like then. Um, I mean, obviously here she's a bit younger than she first appeared in the show, but like we we know what she looked like. So it's it's a little a little strange for the eye, um, but it still looks pretty good. There are like very few moments of floatiness with the head and everything and the face. Um, the whole when Brenner is talking about um, chiseling of the dam they, they they really didn't need to to do that whole thing of like him taking a pencil and saying oh if there's enough holes it builds a pressure and then when there's too much pressure it breaks like we i feel like enough people know what chiseling means um and Elle's in high school and in many english classes she she should know what chiseling means and even even then they could have just said, basically, instead of having to take the time, do that whole thing with the pencil, just said, like, I don't know. Um, and once he chisels away enough, the dam will break. Because that's enough context. People know what you're talking about. Um, that just kind of made, that irked me a little bit. Um, oh, okay. So here's one. Uh, the way that they now depict the in-between space that L goes to, I really like in this episode um when uh the hawkins gang are all together in i think it's max's trailer um and they are planning and then l basically not spies on them but but checks in on them um and you see in this shot and i think it's the first time we've seen this in any of the in-between uh space shots 
where there is a phone on the wall, so it's in vertical space, but obviously it's not attached to anything in the in-between space because everything is just dark and uh, and watery on the ground. Um, so the fact that they show Max interacting with it and Elle kind of like walking around it is pretty cool. Um, as well as, and they've been kind of doing this a, a little, they've been doing it a tiny bit in volume one, but volume two, they really upped their game on it. Um, where the natural lighting of wherever the people she's looking at are, um, is the lighting you see on them in that in-between space, which I think is pretty cool. So, like, if the lighting outside is dusk, you see dusk light is on them, despite everything around them being black, which I, I think is, I think it's pretty cool. I just bumped the mic. I'm very sorry. Um, <laughs> sorry if that, uh, hurt your ears. Um, but yeah, so I, I really like that. And I like the, the way that they do that in-between space, like, the, um, the way that they control the, the, uh, reflections, or I guess probably somewhat CGI for the reflections, but the way that they do them um, is always really pleasing to the eye to me. Um, okay. And then, yeah, I just have a note with the Hawkins plot being more focused in Volume 1 or other plots tied in earlier. I already kind of talked about that. Um, and then, yeah, I made a note. Uh, I'm happy that L shows legitimate concern for Hawkins the Hawkins gang and Max, um, kind of building off of that whole friendship arc, I guess, just friendship development that they had in season three, because, I mean, like, I feel like before they weren't, they, they didn't really think about Hawkins people that much or mention them, so I'm happy to see the concern there, as well as, like, acknowledging the fact that, yeah, Max and Elle have, like, a tight friendship. They're the, each other's, like, only friends who are girls. Like, yeah. So, that's nice, at least. Um, more about me me complaining again about Russia. Uh, Alright, we'll move past that one. Um, oh, yeah. Small detail, just, like, the, I guess, makeup, hair and makeup department doing some really, a really good job and being so detailed with as, um, as the season progresses and action intensifies and everything, the hair of all, basically all the characters affected gets more and more disheveled and almost looks more dirty because they don't have time. Like in the, especially in the last like four, three or four episodes, they are running around for like two straight days. Like they don't have time to go home and shower. So I thought that was a cool, um, a cool detail. Uh, and then the setting up of the Winnebago, which is that trailer with the W on it, um, that we saw uh, Nancy in trying to interview the owner of um, in Volume 1. So little Chekhov's gun pays off with them stealing it in Volume 2. Um, and <laughs> a little detail I liked was um, instead of saying, God damn it, when the, the owners of that trailer are running after them, they just say, she, the uh, woman says, God bless it. I don't know. I thought that was fun. Like, satanic panic time. I think that's that's perfect. Uh, and then, oh yeah, another another small like writing detail I liked when Elle is telling Owens about the whole Hawkins situation and trying to get, um, get him to let her go back there and help. Um, she mentions Max and Owens uh, assumes that Max is a he, so says 
he blah 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 and then l almost immediately corrects him saying she i just thought that was a, a very good nice detail um especially because at that point um the use of typically uh or not you know what i mean like socially social norm for it to have been a male name given to a female name wasn't as common and even now like a lot of people don't uh find it super common i mean i'm i'm a i'm an enjoyer of that kind of name um but yeah and then uh i guess I'll, i'll talk about this now sure um Owens and uh, and Brenner mention, I think it's really Brenner who talks about it, um, mentions Vecna basically consuming everything he takes, including memories. And so that immediately got me thinking about season five possibilities, because um, he's now consumed Max, who's part of the party. So all of those memories are going to be his he has access to all of them and how that might affect his actions and ability to attack or manipulate the main party um so i thought that would, that's interesting um <laughs> uh there's a great meme that's been going around that um because steve has this little thing when they're in the winnebago with all the the kids and stuff saying Oh, I had this dream about a big family, six little nuggets, and going on family road trips every summer. And later on in volume two, he says, he tells Nancy that the dream always was to have that happen with her. And there's a great meme going around, which, I mean, it it isn't even a meme. It's the implication um, of Steve basically saying, Nancy, I want to impregnate you six times, Um, which I just find funny as hell. Um... Jesus Christ. Uh, (laughs) And then, oh, okay. So, I know there's been some discourse about Max's plot and her basically setting herself up as bait for uh, Vecna in Volume 2 and it affecting her uh, story arc and metaphor and plot in Episode 4, which was, I'll, I'll remind you, which was Dear Billy, which was when she thought she had only 24 hours left to live. Fekna tries to attack her. The whole running up that hill sequence, everything. Um, I personally think that it still works. I think both of those, um, I guess, events, they're not exactly arcs, um, both still work together. Because with episode four, it's more of like, it is still more of that metaphor for depression and grief and everything. Um, and so that obviously is still very powerful. And then here, it's the the whole idea was it's a sacrifice for those she loves, but without the actual intent of death. I mean, obviously, death is a is a um, risk, but there's no intent on her part to die. Um, I think it's pretty obviously obvious, and she ultimately. Um, and I guess I'll go into this more in uh, when I get to volume two, or not volume two, uh, episode two quote-unquote, so episode nine. Um, but she ultimately has to embrace and, in in her words, run to the light. Even if it doesn't work, um, it is basically her um, her embracing the support and love of others to um, to help her through, through what is going on in her mind, literally. <laughs> um, 
So I think it still works. I mean, I think it's because you have the metaphor part, which I think still works. And then you have obviously just the, the story progression that has to happen. So it, I think they can work in tandem. Um, and then, okay, Lucas and Max, even though, like, they're, even if they're straight, they're adorable. I love their chemistry together. Uh, I think it's, yeah, Caleb McLaughlin, 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 um, and Sadie Sink have adorable chemistry. Um, I don't know. They're just very, very cute. Um, and then, oh, I have a note, Warzone, the, uh, the, place they go to get all the guns and equipment for before the fight with Vecna. Reminds me a lot of some places I'd gone to in Montana while visiting family. Um, the family there is much more conservative, uh, much more pro-gun than my family on this coast or uh, on the west coast. But um, yeah, it, it, it was very accurate to some places in the U.S. then and even now. Um, and then that scene with Robin in the, uh, in Warzone when she sees Vicky with her boyfriend, I thought it was done pretty well. I mean, obviously super, super painful and like you feel secondhand when, um, Robin runs away, but I like that, um, first she's never put in a position, um, uh, where she's pressured to, to come out. And she's never outed by Steve as the only other one who knew. Um, and Steve Steve is amazing in terms of supporting her, like her her romantic endeavors as well as just like keeping that secret for her. Um, there were a few times in volume one where Nancy uh, was asking about him and Robin to to Steve. And Steve basically said that, oh, I'm uh I'm not her type. She's not my type. Um, not actually saying that she's a lesbian. And I thought that was really well done, and I like that a lot. Um, I also like that Vicky doesn't, uh, Im doesn't imply or out, uh, out Robin to others or find, she doesn't, in that, in that scene, like, at least from the acting, doesn't seem to find it exactly, like, weird or off-putting that, that um that Robin was looking at her like that she didn't seem she didn't turn to her boyfriend after and say something about it um or imply something like about uh about Robin uh being like creepy or whatever um she just basically said oh it's someone I knew from band and I that I also really like because it the last thing we need is another plot where it's the 80s, and all these people are going to want to lynch this this gay person, you know? Um, and then, oh, Jason's actor is amazing this season, honestly. Um, his descent into madness and everything, I think he, he did a great job. And it, it's, it's clear through his acting as well that while the character, obviously, is doing, is, is being prompted to things that are horrible and make and just not listening to the main characters you still see that it is rooted in a misguided um attempt to help and and avenge chrissy um it is i feel like he was the human embodiment of 
of traditional American, like, good, good-intentioned satanic panic. Because um, a lot of people who, who do, even now, um, have satanic panic going on in their lives, it's not, it's not out of malice, exactly. It's, it's that they, they believe that is what's happening, you know? And so, I mean, it doesn't excuse his actions at all. No, it doesn't. But also, it makes it so he's not just like, oh, I'm gonna go shoot this kid. <laughs> you know? It makes him more of a three-dimensional character. Um, Argyle, this might be controversial. I, I didn't find Argyle super funny, uh, in season, well, I, I found it, no, so, that's a lie. I found him to be funny, uh, in volume one, but I just thought he was on screen too much. They, they, he, it, his bits just could go on for too long at times, um, it, which, uh, the bits can initially be funny, but then if it's dragged out too long, then it loses that potency. Um, and you see less of that in this, uh, volume, uh, and the bits that he does have are really good. Um, and then this is always, <laughs> so this is, this is like more of a, more of a, I guess this is probably due to COVID, but also just aging. Um, Dr. Brenner being called or referring to himself as Papa with how old uh, Millie Bobby Brown, who's Eleven's actress, looks now makes me so uncomfortable. I mean, that's not necessarily a bad thing because I mean, it's it's it is an unhealthy relationship going on between them. Um, but I just found it kind of kind of funny and interesting. Um, and I'm happy that won't be happening anymore cuz he's dead. Uh, but you know, not the actor, not the actor. Uh, Modine Modine should live for a long time. Um, who's the actor? Um, and then, all right, my next note is for the prepping scene. So this is for Hawkins when they are nailing, putting nails in the trash can lid, sawing off the shotgun, uh, getting the Molotov set up, getting the spears set up. Um, it reminded me a lot of Infinity War, where it you, you go in knowing there's going to be losses. Um, you know that despite doing everything they can, the people there are under under uh they don't have enough firepower they're underprepared despite preparing to the most they could you know um and i think that's a perfect tone for them to set going into the finale um and it's also a reminder that all of them even if now they they look older um all of them are meant to be essentially like kids or young adults like because the, the kids and so they're supposed to be like freshmen in high school. So think back to that. Um, and then the older ones, Steve, Nancy, uh, Robin, they're supposed to be like high school seniors or a year older. So like eight, 17, 18, 19. Um, so they really are young. They don't, they, they're, they're facing all these things so early on, you know? Um... So there's that. Uh, Brenner finally biting the bullet. I'm happy about that. Um, the way that they did the scene I thought was good with Elle's denial of Brenner's plea for her to tell him that she understands why he did what he did. Um, I thought that was good to show her her development out of the mindset that, that 
allowed for the unhealthy relationship to continue. Um, and then I just, <laughs> I just have a note here because in that scene when they find Elle and she just killed, like she just uh, crashed that helicopter, um, you see so many dead bodies on the ground. And I just have a note saying, Argyle has seen more dead people in two days than most serial killers in their lives. And I mean, I think that is a point that could easily be argued. Um, and, you know, it makes sense why he'd be stoned out of his mind for the next episode. Um, and another point with Brenner's death, actually, is that uh, aforementioned score, uh, a motif called eulogy, isn't played for Brenner's death, which I think is appropriate um, that they didn't use it. Because it has only been used um, essentially when a character has died um, or is a dead character is being talked about who was heroic in some sense, basically. Um, so it was played, obviously, after Bob died, saving everyone in the lab, uh, season two. Season three, um, it was played after Billy's death, who had just saved um, Elle and... Uh, well, actually, no, it's played after Billy and, and Hopper's death, um, both, uh, both of whom ended up acting in a way to save... Uh, all the kids and Hawkins and everything. Um, and then season four, it's played during Dear Billy when Max is reading her letter to Billy, um, which, again, uh, is appropriate. Uh, so it wasn't used here, um, again, to emphasize the fact that he's not... Yeah, his his action, his last action may have been... Um, in the service of saving Elle, but he wasn't really heroic or doing something for the good of of the world, essentially, or the good, even the good of Elle, because it ultimately his relationship with her is one of um, possessiveness and control, um, even if he did to some level love her it wasn't the health healthy or true love of the person themselves it's what she was capable of and um what she represented to him so i like that detail a lot all right so we're again this is the last one i have for episode uh eight so separate worlds being a perfect choice uh of song for the last uh I think it was like last two minutes of um, of the the episode, and the only thing I really have to talk about here is the timing. Um, they time perfectly. Uh, this uh, I think it's Lucas, um, Lucas, Erica, and Max stepping out of the Winnebago to uh, the song itself to go with uh, a set of three lyrics. So I thought that was just well done and probably took a little bit more coordination than anyone would think um just because you have to get it so that looks natural but also lines up with a song because it's a single shot meaning that it's not it's not edited um to be like that it's it's literally just they had to time it out so that it would match up in the moment um so yeah so that's episode nine nope episode eight i skipped a page um We'll do a little, a little uh, break 
brief break right now, I guess, uh, between episodes. Um, and talk about something random. This will probably only last for like a minute or two. I so I had acquired um a a Walkman that was basically the same model as the one Max uses. I also got the the headphones um because I am a person who spends too much money on things that I connect with. But at least I've gotten a lot of use out of the Walkman. Um, that was until, well, I still can get use out of it, but that was until, uh, it was two nights ago. I had a night class, so I was, I had used it. Um, I usually put the actual Walkman in my backpack and then the headphones have a very long cord, so I'm able to listen to it. And I put it on my desk next to my computer, uh, during the class, and at one point, I, moved my arm or something and the walkman fell to the floor and the bottom half of the shell so like the plastic outer um cover basically exploded into like 20 pieces um i had never felt so so just such like despair about a single item in in my entire life (laughs) um because I couldn't even fix it then and there. I has I still had like an hour and a half of this class left. It was like 8 p.m. at night on a Monday. It's like I don't want to, I don't want to be here. I just want to fix this. Um, it's my only source of music for getting home and for like my 15 minute bike ride. Um, but luckily when I got home, because I had uh kind of messed with the internals, uh, wiring and everything. I checked that and it was still working. So everything on the inside of the Walkman's perfectly fine. It's just the outside that's not. Um, so I went through the process of, uh, super gluing everything back together and then doing it again because the batteries, um, pushed part of the shell too much to where it basically broke off. So I re-glued everything and now I can still use it. It's just, it looks kind of like uh, like Frankenstein, you know? So I'm trying to use um, some paint and stuff to, to get it back to looking to normal. But, you know, that's... We'll get, we'll get there eventually. Um, but, yeah. I mean, it's, a, it's to add to the list of things just that go wrong in my daily life. I mean, I, I hit my kneecap on part of the wall that juts out near my bed. Um, so I'm gonna have a huge ass bruise there, and it does not like when I move my knee, but it's not a dislocated or, uh, kneecap or anything like that, um, so that's good. Um, but, yeah, alright, so I think that's gonna- <laughs> our our break is just me complaining about things, um, <laughs> but, okay. Uh, hope you guys had time to get, like, a glass of water or something, um. Or if you're driving, maybe get, I don't know, t- uh, pick up drive through food or just uh, be able to look at your surroundings and enjoy the weather. Um, okay, so we're going to go into episode two of volume two, also known as episode nine of season four. Uh, so if you've only watched uh, episode eight, spoiler warning, don't go ahead if you haven't watched it, um, unless for some reason you just want to hear me talk, which... Um, thanks. Yeah. Uh, so, here we go. Episode 2. So, I 
in terms of I'm this isn't this part isn't um in chronological order yet. So I'm just going to do those the general notes again and then we'll go in uh the chronological order that I wrote these notes. Um so first of all, I really appreciate the uh the avoidance of the barrier gaze trope. Um for those who don't know, barrier gaze is a very common trope in media. It's gotten a little less common, but it's still an issue where basically it's it ties in with the idea that for a queer person to be present in media it it's needs to be showing their uh suffering or they end up need to end up dying in order for people to either relate or tolerate them their presence um and there i mean obviously there's other stuff that's just kind of my my take on it um and i mean my definition isn't the solid definition for what it is obviously um but so we don't have that here because uh robin lives i know there was a i i personally had a tiny bit of concern when we saw uh the trailers and saw robin was like stuck to a wall with with uh vecna's vecna's tentacles sounds like a <laughs> sounds like i'm describing a hentai um <laughs> but yeah, I wasn't super concerned that would happen just um just with how the uh how she was written in her coming out scene in season 3, so but I'm happy. And I'm happy they uh gave Robin a chance with Vicky. Um that was very cute. Um and then again, Nancy, and I I I mentioned this uh in my first Stranger Things episode, I think. Um with Nancy being a complete badass without stripping away femininity. So again, here she she's leading the charge. She's the basically the leader of this whole group in Hawkins. Um, she's the one who is taking initiative when it comes to actually approaching Vecna. Um, she's the one who leads the charge with the with the shotgun. Um, just I don't know. She's just an amazingly strong character, and meanwhile she's still in an outfit that is uh feminine she has a scar uh loose scarf around her neck the whole time um she still has kind of her her more feminine haircut and yeah it, it's it's really refreshing rather than have her be stripped of the feminine femininity in order to make her a badass you know so i really like that um and i also really like the I guess this this ties into earlier in the season too. Um, just basically starting in I think episode four when Nancy and Robin uh, team up. I like that. I really like that they show their friendship without any like sexual tension or idea. I mean, th- I I know plenty of people will read that into it, but I personally think that they show um they don't show any sexual tension there, and I like that because it's it's one of those arguments a lot of people who don't uh don't support queer people say with like oh you can't and honestly guys even say this about um being friends with girls that oh you can't you can't be friends with the sex you're attracted to um that's just not possible which is such bullshit i mean like come on you can be friends even oh even dogs even dogs who are <laughs> who are male and female and like it would perform intercourse would they can be just friends like bro come on if a frog can be your friend like come on 
it's stupid. It's stupid, basically. But I like that they do that because it's not because it, it would be so easy for them to fulfill that trope of like, oh, any any female character who gets at all close to this uh, lesbian character is now the new the new uh, sexual interest, romantic interest is um, that would have been so easy. But they they didn't go down that course. They went more with, you know, what actually happens. Like, I have plenty of friends who are girls who I'm not attracted to, you know. So I I really I really do appreciate that. Um, uh, and then, da, da, da. all right. I think I think that is it for. Oh wait. Uh, last general note um, is foley artists. For those who don't know, foley artists are essentially the ones who create all sounds that aren't picked up or well aren't picked up by the microphone that picks up dialogue. Or create sounds that need to replace some a sound that they did pick up. So this includes almost anything you could think of. It's way more than you would think. So it's something as simple as footsteps, a door creaking, a piece of uh, a piece of metal hitting wood on the floor. Everything. Um, and they do this. They don't just work on shows like this. They work on animated shows, video games, documentaries. A lot of documentaries have uh, Foley artists work on them because you don't really pick up all the sounds of, like, a bird. You don't hear them uh, hopping on uh, on snow or anything when you're actually recording them. Um, and so they are just... I just wanted to shout them out for this uh, because they do amazing work in this season um, trying to a, create sounds of things that don't exist and no one's ever heard, as well as just doing their, their as always, great job of um, making us, uh, making us engaged uh, through audio. I mean, if you saw a scene where they're walking uh, down a corridor and you don't hear footsteps, you might, you might be pulled out, you know? Literally any noise. Um, but Foley artists are just very underrated and underappreciated, uh, members of the, uh, I guess film and television, um, docket. So I just wanted to, I wanted to shout them out. They're awesome. Um, they work usually in dark rooms, uh, but yeah, I, I really, I really respect people who are able to do that. Um, so yeah, they did a great job. All right, so now we're going into the more chronological order of notes. So, starting at the beginning of episode nine. Um, so we have <laughs> Rip uh, Pan Am, the airline. Um, never got to ride it, but they mention it in like the first few seconds, so I wrote it down. Um, and then my my next note, another another small thing that that has no of no consequence. Um ice machines and ice boxes so when they're at the gas station you can see one of those it the, the they haven't changed in what is now like 40 years um the logo is exactly the same the shape of the box is exactly the same like go to a local go to your local gas station and like nine times out of ten it's that exact ice box um and almost always like a third is filled um yeah, that's that's been my experience. Um, so I just found that funny that they hadn't changed. Uh, and then... Oh, okay. So here's another note on Jason, actually. Um, so besides that whole uh, 
whole thing of satanic panic and displacement of blame. Um, so I found it interesting. His reaction to Chrissy's uh, death and, I guess, whole ordeal that she had been going through um, beforehand as well versus Lucas's reaction to Max and her whole, whole ordeal. It, I, I, at least I read it as this, as reflecting two major ways that people react to either um, some, a loved one's suicide or a, an event that was caused due to another, uh, another person's depression. Um, so it can even be hospitalization or just um, major breakdowns, things like that. Um, with uh, Lucas, um, with Lucas, it is uh, wanting, it's him basically t- telling Max, like, I want to be there more. Let me help, even if I don't know how. I'm trying to, uh, like, I'm trying to get to you. Um, get through to you, that is. Um, and so his is more of a reaction of, of almost grief at the isolation that she, she self-imposed. Um, and then you have, uh, you have, uh, Jason. So his reaction, so uh, you don't really see it as much, but one of the lines that is later in this the episode that I thought um, really encapsulated what I'm trying to say here uh, is doo, 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 I'm just uh, flipping to the right page. Uh, ba, 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 ba. Here it is. No, this is the wrong page. Hold on. Hold on. I literally just watched it like <laughs> I just watched it like an hour ago. <laughs> um, hold on. Where did I write it? Oh, here it is. Here it is. Uh, he says, if Chrissy wanted help, she would have come to me. So, in this case, him, him not, him feeling like he wasn't, uh, there for her instead takes the form of, um, of, again, shifting blame, kind of what this whole, uh, thing with the satanic panic was, um, shifting blame to, uh, to another person, in this case it would be Eddie, um, as well as not really accepting that she had been going through something. Because there is that beginning, the if, if she had. Um, So it's him just kind of being in a state of denial about it. Um, And so, I don't know, I feel like those are two, two, um, two views of these types of events that that you see relatively often in the real world um so i just thought that was interesting uh it's on a lighter note um for those who didn't know this the guy at the uh the uh what's the full name it's like surfer surfer boy pizza yeah surfer boy pizza um who they meet in nevada um his his credited name is just Argyle 2.0. So that's always fun. Um and Jonathan I I like initially lost my shit at Jonathan saying my dude and just like the abrupt cut to his face of him like leaning in and smiling saying it. Oh my god, I loved it. Um and then okay, so that I just have a I just have a note that just straight up says set design is immaculate. I mean all of the sets that you see 
in the show have been made have been like perfectly created i mean and that especially especially upside down and um mind layer sets this season have been really really good um just the it because you feel like it's alive it gives off that that um that look of like you're inside a living being almost which i think is perfect for the whole like you're being consumed by Vecna. I think that's a kind of a cool thing. Um, okay. And then, this is actually a, just a comment that one of my friends um, made. I was watching it with him. And uh, we'd gotten to the point where they're all geared up. And he said, basically, that Eddie kind of... This is just a quote from him. Eddie kind of looks like a, an old French saint or Joan of Arc in his outfit. And he was talking about the one where his hair is kind of tied back in a bandana. The long hair is coming down. Um, and then as well as the jacket and eventual um, shield and uh, spear that he had. And honestly, I think that's that's true. Um, and I like that they they show him as um, being being heroic in, in just his outfit, you know? So that's pretty cool. Um, also, I can't get over Robin's outfit with the beret during this episode. I think it looks amazing. Um, she is like the perfect, um, like it's the perfect uh, uh, makeshift um, makeshift rebel outfit. Uh, also, I'd been seeing some some posts and like opinions about Robin and whether or not she's neurodivergent coded. Um, I am myself neurodivergent, but again, I'm not an obelisk. Uh, I'm not the one who reps everyone. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but I personally, I don't, I'm kind of unsure whether or not I think that's the case. Or if she's just supposed to be like disaster lesbian. Because, um, you know, that's the, it's a, it's a common trope, but you know, it's, it's more like a fun, um, good natured trope. It comes, it comes more from like, a place of love for the for the community than than uh something like barrier gaze um so i don't i don't know i mean it'd be interesting to hear people's thoughts i i don't know i really don't yeah. um okay and then the high scene so i call it this because um in the score of the actual um season the they <laughs> the score they used here is named high but it has i think like i counted at one point it was like 11 eyes um so it's just high and it just keeps going um and it's it's a really good piece of score as well but um that scene is oh my god it's so cute and heartwarming but also you know after it you feel like dread you feel immediate dread um, especially after they plan to see a movie on Friday. I mean, that was just the, that was the nail in the coffin for Max, man. Um, <laughs> but it was a really well-acted scene. I mean, it had no, it had no spoken dialogue, but with just really a few words and then draw, like a drawing was able to, um, was able to express the, the core of their relationship. Um, and just the amount of love and support they had for each other, um, and the vulnerability that Lucas is able to get out of Max. So with the whole, um, I'm happy you're here 
type thing. I just thought that was a really well done scene. Um, and then this is a slight side note. Um, so I did, I was mainly into lighting, uh, in high school. So I did, I did technical theater, um, from, from like seventh grade till, uh, senior year. Um, and I usually ran the light board and did some lighting design for it. And so I am not like, I am not a a professional or even like college trained person, but I really do appreciate lighting, um, and how other people use it. Um, and so the use of blue, blues here, and then like every once in a while, strong contrast with reds, I think looked very, very beautiful. And also the blue works really well for the whole cold and isolating environment. So lighting, I love it. Um, and then with, uh, Will and Jonathan, so Mike and Elle have some cute moments, which I like, cause again, it feels more like Mike is a character. Um, and then Will and Jonathan, again, I, I like the message here with, uh, Jonathan not having, John, having Jonathan not like actually ask if, if Will is gay, but basically just say whatever, like whatever is going on, like period, I, you are still my brother and I will still care for you. Um, which I thought was nice. I like that it wasn't him asking and like him being the one to cause Will to come out. But again, it's that same issue of if it isn't explicit, then you have people who are able to argue that you're just pushing your, your ideas on, on, um, on this this child, this depicted child, and all of that, um, and that can be used very harmfully, but in this case, I mean, it is very clear coding, um, at the very least, and Noah Schnapps, the actor, has multiple times basically agreed that, that Will is gay, uh, for Mike, um, but, I don't know. It's again, it's that tricky balance cuz I do like how they did it. But I also know the ramifications that can come, you know? Um I've been saying you know a lot. I should I should stop doing that. Or I should just do it less, I guess. Um okay. Uh next next bit, next bit. Um okay. So this one is Oh, the the monologue, Max's monologue. Uh, I thought Sadie Sink did an amazing job here, um, with the way that she portrayed the emotion. Because Max, as a character, especially this season, um, but also in previous seasons, is very um, emotionally repressed. Uh, she keeps everything in. She doesn't really express it facially very much or vocally. Um, and so she bottles things in. That's what we saw in Dear Billy. Um, and I liked that they didn't forget that that line that Vecna had said as Billy of of um, wanting her wanting him dead and her wanting to join him in death. Um, I thought that was really good. Um, and it, I don't know, it was written so well. Um, so like she, I mean. And she delivered it in a way that's like she it's admitting your your deepest, darkest shit, but also not being an emotionally open person. So it's mostly through eyes and some voice crackle. But like you can tell it's she's holding it back even as she's doing it. 
Um, and also the um, the way that it it kind of for I, I guess for those who didn't understand it at, uh, during like the fourth episode exactly it, it fleshes out more the reason for Max's depression and in this case it you see the roots of it being guilt over um, Billy which I think it it in part um, I think it is to try to avoid people who are quote-unquote Billy apologists saying that he was actually a good guy he just needed more time and and be in more episodes and things like that where you kind of you can't really argue when Max says that she wasn't sure if he deserved to be saved because up to that point he had done nothing but basically uh control Max emotionally verbally uh uh manipulate and abuse Max like he had done he had done some majorly fucked up shit and he did save Elle in the end. He was at one point a good person and, like, kid, as we saw in the uh, flashbacks at one point. But he wasn't... He he wasn't a strictly good person at that point. And you could argue he wasn't good, period, um, at that point. But yeah, there's... It's... I think it's... Even then, it's it's similar to how you see people with abusers. Um, when it comes to either um, domestic uh, violence or child abusers, a lot of the time, if they're especially if they're family, um, you'll see the victim um, feel guilt and conflict over the fact that they still feel obligation to either protect or or be with or help even um their abusers uh do the fact that they have that uh, familial relationship or a romantic relationship but also having gone through all of this um this torment and abuse they don't want anything to do with that person they know they shouldn't be near that person that the person is awful um and so that kind of comes up here um she's going through that conflict and that she feels that guilt because of it um, which, uh, I don't know. I just, I, I like this stuff. I like when, I like when, um, I guess maybe not horror, uh, cause this isn't really horror. I wouldn't classify it as that, but I like when, um, shows that are not action either. It's like, uh, uh, I don't know what genre to describe it as, but when shows with these types of supernatural elements and everything, um, really are able to tie it well, um, thematically and sometimes literally, um, into real life, um, situations. Uh, and I think this was, I think this was handled well, because it wasn't just brushing aside everything that happened. Um, I don't, I, f I feel like I lost the initial point I was going for here. Either way, it was really good. Um, and then that transition to the, um, to when Vecna took over. I I knew almost immediately when they showed the shot of like uh Max on the Max sitting still on the ground and then Lucas uh at at like a an angle where he was like t almost towering over even though he was farther back in literal space um that it was that sh she was already like Vecna was in her mind. But um 
But yeah, no, that was a cool transition. I like that. Um, okay, we're just going to move on from that scene for now. Um, also, oh yeah, score being very, very good. The scene where uh, Elle goes into Max's mind, I really like the score there. It's it's kind of just a using bass to... Um, it It's almost like a revving up... You're revving up a, um, a generator. It's just kind of increasing in intensity and frequency um the bass and then it continues throughout the scene but almost like a heartbeat um i just i like that i really like it um then you have the whole of the uh master of puppets scene which for those who don't know that's the a metallica song and that's the song that eddie plays on the guitar um that whole scene is really well done uh, of course the actual song ties in very well um, to what's going on, uh, but also the visuals, the, um, the, uh, energy of it, what, and Max being chased through the house, um, and then also just, it's literally, it's a metal band, it's, it's metal cover, like, he's, he's in the Upside Down, he's wearing all, like, his gear, he's on top of a trailer with bats coming toward him, like, come on, that's just fun. Um, and then I, so for those who don't know, this was filmed during COVID, um, and deep in COVID. So, um, for Billy, played by, uh, Dacre Montgomery. Yes, that's his last name. Dacre Montgomery. Um, he's Australian. So he wasn't able to leave the country and come to the U.S. to film any of his parts. Um, I think I mentioned this in the first, uh, episode on Stranger Things. But you see him again here, um, and it's, I mean, it's pretty obvious that it's footage from season three. It, it's during the sauna test, um, so he's in, like, a little separate room. But the way that they integrated the footage was pretty good. Um, I thought it looked pretty natural. They were able to, like, change a tiny bit of the lighting on the door. Um, and, yeah, I thought it fit pretty well. Um, okay, so the... When Max is in the snowball and it cuts, or yeah, snowball, and she, we cut back to her and she's just sitting at the table. The, the popping blood balloons got me the first time so bad because it's like in the middle of a line of the song. It's, she's just sitting there. We aren't, we're expecting to like sit there and then she'll look around and something will happen, but no, they fucking blow up a balloon in our face. Um, yeah, so that's fun. Uh, and then, Oh, God. Okay, yeah. So, uh, Gaten Matarazzo, who plays Dustin, super underrated actor. Um, he was amazing. He's, I mean, he's always been perfect as Dustin. He was amazing here, um, with just the desperation when it comes to Eddie. Um, and, oh my God, I'll, I'll get more into that in a little bit. Um, and then, ah, should I go over this now? Or should I wait? I'll wait to go over this a little bit. Okay. So then, um, <laughs> I also have a note. So, uh, when Steve, Nancy, and Robin are being choked in the, the Creel house in the Upside Down, I mean, first of all, they get choked for, like, two monologues, like, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. It's just kind of funny. But also, uh, the face that Steve makes when he's being choked, I, I just found really funny. It looks kind of like the Pog face. Um, 
So yeah. Um, and then I have, yep, uh, the use of dream alone, dream, um, when it becomes distorted and Vecna appears behind Max. Um, I like that they cut the song off at, uh, it's saying, say, say nighty night. And the line is say nighty night and kiss me, but it stops at that. Um, cause you know, that's what's happening. She's got to say nighty night. Uh, <laughs> but you know, to life. Um, and then also another actor, Caleb McLaughlin doing a great job. Um, he did really well in the parts with, uh, Jason, um, I, I really like the, um, I guess it's, it's not monologue, but like a mini one, um, where he's talking about, uh, um, wanting to have, having wanted to be like Jason. And then I think the line is like, um, but normal's a raging psychopath. Um, I liked that. Uh, okay. And then another unintentionally hilarious bit is, um, after L appears in Max's mind, um, Vecna, when Vecna's, like, going towards L, Max is running up behind him with a wooden stake and then gets, like, force thrown to the side. It's, it's a really tense moment. It's supposed to be a tense moment, but between, like, between the image of Max running up with a wooden stake to to this like fleshy abomination of a man and then being tossed like a rag doll making a little noise and then just flying off screen <laughs> until like the next cut I don't know I just it was and there's like no music <laughs> it's just really funny um it it <laughs> It doesn't, like, ruin the tension of the scene. It just kind of <laughs> distracted me a lot. Um, uh, and then, oh yeah, acting shout-out to Joseph Quinn, who plays Eddie. Um, and there's the great line during that bit with Elle and Max in uh, Max's mind. The, I, I piggybacked from a pizza dough freezer line. I thought that was a good way to give a tiny bit of levity without it feeling forced or out of out of place um because it gets a lot worse afterwards um in terms of uh how our characters are doing um and i also like that Elle's uh speaking pattern of speech this season is a lot less truncated before it was very choppy um which yeah it made sense for like the first two seasons she hadn't ever been to school um she previously had a seizure she was grown up she grew up in a lab like all that stuff that makes sense um, season three, we started to see her speaking more normally, but it's still pretty truncated. I think if it was still the case with this season, it would have been too weird, especially, again, this isn't their fault, but because of COVID, they look a lot older. Um, so I'm happy that they kind of did away with that. She still has kind of like specific uh, intonation that makes it sound not exactly normal, but I think that that works better than having her speak in, like, very short sentences all the time. Um, okay. And then more more score that I liked for, for Eddie's Last Stand. Uh, color grading. So another, another element of film that not everyone knows about is color grading. So when they go and film something, it'll come out, like, 
it will come out in a way that typically requires some color grading. So color grading is going in and making sure the saturation of the shot is right, making sure that it doesn't look too saturated, but also bring out certain colors more. Um, so like, for example, uh, um, if in a shot you wanted the green to pop more in a tree, that, in that involves color grading. Um, and so you see it especially more obviously used um, whenever there is a transition to um, like Vecna's mind or something being influenced by Vecna. So, for example, again in Dear Billy, um, when the sky uh, turns blue uh, at any point when Vecna is uh, possessing Max, essentially, um, when the sky turns blue, when it suddenly becomes night, it you can tell in that transition when it's happening, that is color grading. So that transition in tones, it's the same footage. The footage is consistent. It's just the color grading changes. Um, so that I thought that work was really well done, especially with how intense a lot of the colors are in this uh, last episode um, between like Snowball and then the, um, the uh, Mind Lair and everything. Um, and all the all the scenes with just just blue lighting essentially um yeah they did a really good job um okay okay uh and then i'm not this is honestly this is a legitimate question um i don't know if just my computer or tv or internet has an issue with buffering uh the amount of red that's in the mine layer. Um, but for me, like the, the background always looks kind of pixelated and uh, blurry. Well, maybe not blurry, more pixelated than blurry, uh, like grainy almost. Um, and I'm not sure if that's intentional or not, because earlier they've and I think still they use um, they use compressed crunchy audio on purpose for some of Vecna's uh, sounds and score in involving him and stuff which I think works really well. Um, but I don't know if this is intentional. It could be. It could also just be Netflix having an issue or just my equipment having an issue, which I wouldn't be surprised by, um, just because of how intense the color is. Um, and then a lot of people aren't into the idea that... that um, that Vecna essentially made the upside down what it is and the mind flare and everything. I'm, I mean, like, I'm kind of ambivalent to it. I think it's fine. I, I don't really have an, a strong opinion about it. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I think it's just fine. Uh, and then, oh, I forgot I had written this. Um, I have two other, uh, new band names that I come up with during, during this episode so the first one is is in my notes right now is chrissy's desiccated corpse and then later in my notes uh it's max's vacuous mind so my new band names uh hope you like them uh we'll just be playing the screams of people <laughs> the entire time um okay so and okay so going back to vecna from what i understand uh i think think that Vecna he's he's one slash Henry is both like inhabits that corporeal Vecna form um and then also 
the mind flare. I think he can like he he can kind of control it and like possess it. So, but I don't know if that's actually the case or if it's he's just like he doesn't actually inhabit it. He just controls it, you know? So I'm not I'm not really sure cuz that that would change um that could change a lot in terms of how season 5 could pan out. Um And then da, da, da. Yep, poor Max go, going through so much. Um, I liked Mike's monologue. Um, he really, really did feel like Mike again. Um, and it gave it gave Finn Wolfhard a chance to like actually do something and like really do some acting. Like not not do some acting, but you know what I mean. Like to actually to to um, be challenged by the material and like do do something more. Um, more emotional, I guess. Um, okay, and then we get to then we get to Max's bones cracking. I was super surprised that they showed actually showed like the bones cracking on screen. Um, I I had a feeling she was going to die ultimately um, throughout like the whole thing, so I wasn't surprised that that happened. But I thought they would be like they showed us Lucas's reaction, like horrified or something. Or we hear it but don't see it, but no, they just straight up showed uh, a a main character's body uh, get fucked up like that. <laughs> so um, and and in this in this universe, a child's uh, so that's fucky. Um, <laughs> but I think it it works to the benefit of the episode, and because um, it, I mean it again, it emphasizes the stakes of what's happening. Like it's. It's literally life and death. Like, plus it also, yeah. I know there was the whole like Game of Thrones effect that was going on with people saying like, "Oh, all these characters are gonna die," or "Oh, I'm gonna be disappointed when like no characters die." It's like we don't need an all-out massacre. <laughs> but I'm happy that they they didn't um they didn't str- like wave away the actual stakes that were at hand. You know. So I'm happy that they showed the the consequences of what was going on. Um, yeah, and then Nancy and Steve and Robin finally stopped choking. It's been like 30 minutes. Um, the Hopper uh, picking up the sword. So that was that was kind of cheesy. The fact that it was like this golden sword, and it resembled the one from like Lord of the Rings, I think. Um, but uh, you know what? It also leads to him like decapitating. Um, the Demogorgon, which I thought was pretty cool, so uh, I'll give that a pass. Um, and the scene with running up that hill, the the remix version was amazing. I like, I really like the remix, um, especially uh, it using the um, the theme song as the baseline. Um, they, they actually go really well together, surprisingly. And then the repetition of the world word building to literally as the song is building uh, multiple times. Um, and you could, you could draw some, some, like, you could draw some, uh, conclusion that, like, the emphasis on deal, making a deal with God, uh, being, like, L bringing back Max's body, um, but at the cost of her mind or soul type thing, um, and then, or just the whole, if, if only I could, implying it's already too late. Um, to take action, which, I mean, that one makes more sense in terms of 
trying to stop Vecna. It's already too late. Um, and their their efforts are somewhat in vain now. But, yeah. Um, oh, God. And then Eddie... Yeah, so... Eddie's death didn't break me, but Dustin's sobbing over his body did. Like, that... Oh. That... That broke me. That got me to tear up at 4 a.m. when I was watching it. Uh, the first time. Uh, yeah, and it still, like, gives, makes me, like, feel deep emotion, but not, like, actually tear up. Um, and then also, Max being scared to die also broke me. I... So, obviously, it gives some, some big, um... Uh, uh, I don't feel so good, Mr. Stark vibes, but, um, I think that, I don't know, I've always, I've always been drawn to media that makes me feel deep, like, intense, legitimate emotion, and so I really like these scenes, and it, it it's, I guess it, it probably is kind of weird I like going back to these types of scenes and um, watching them kind of again and again and, and I guess, analyzing how, why I feel this emotion, like, what's causing me to within that scene, what the actors are doing that makes me feel like that, and then also just to experience it again. I don't, I don't know, it's, it's, it's probably kind of weird, um, but, you know, that's what I do, so... Um, and it makes me really appreciate the acting um, in those scenes. So, yeah. But, oh, God. Yeah, no, not being able to see anything. Not being able to feel anything. Knowing you're dying um, after having, you know, had Vecna go fuck your mind. Um, that's that's legitimate. That's horrifying. Um, but, yeah. And then, oh, and then uh, Lucas's line of of erica help also it, just the amount of emotion in just the voice is is amazing um okay we're almost we're almost there guys i promise we're almost there uh so then after she does die um rip max uh the four chimes i like that they they didn't wait like uh they didn't wait five minutes i feel like a lot of shows and movies where um like something happens after this one person dies type thing um they show the death and then people mourn for like a good 5 to 10 minutes and then the thing actually happens um so i like that i like that it happened pretty soon after she actually died it was probably only like a minute um but it was what i wrote down so perfect and devastating um the realization, all of them having the realization they failed, as well as the implications of it meaning that Max is now dead. Um, and the implications for the future of Hawkins and the world. Um, so that mixed with just the sound design of the chime of the clock again. Um, that I can't get over the sound design of the clock. That's perfect, the chimes. Um, okay. And then I I got some... I got some Good old pleasure out of uh, Jason being ripped <laughs> apart. So rip him literally. Uh, and then somebody pointed this out to me. Um, and I don't know if everyone noticed it, but I thought it was cool. If you look at the um, shot of Hawkins after all the gates had opened and collided. Um, 
And then you look at a an image of the grandfather clock that was shown earlier uh, in the season. They have the cra- they have the same cracks. So all we have one coming from north, south, east, west, and in that pattern, there's like a slight uh, curve, like two curves on each of them or something. But it it either match it matches or like just resembles it. But it's enough that it was definitely purposeful. Um, and then. All right, so then on to Elle's actions. So, again, this is one that a lot of people didn't like or found that it took away from the impact. I personally don't see it that way. Um, So I see it more as, um, as, especially, and this is taking into account knowing the the aftermath where uh, Elle goes into Max's mind and finds nothing. So I honestly believe that that's a face fate worse than death at this point um and it is still just as if not more impactful her whole death um now that l using her powers trying to do everything she can her powers have solved all the issues previously it would it couldn't bring her friend back who died um because she wasn't able to fight back fast enough or or use her powers against the against Fekna fast enough, things like that. Um, I think it's going to play into um, some major uh, character points in season five for Elle, because um, this it as as stated by Mike, this is her first loss. Um, he was saying it more in terms of losing against uh, Vecna, but first major loss that she could attribute to her own abilities and her own actions. Um, So I think there's going to be a lot of... I hope, I hope there's going to be a lot of exploration of that type of guilt that has now been seeded. Um, Okay, and the music in that scene as well, when she is bringing her back, I like a lot. Um, And then we get to the time skip. So the two-day time skip. I really wish there wasn't one. Um, I felt that the first time I watched it, I felt, feel that now still, um, because there's so much that I wish we could have seen. Um, and I get it. I get that it's to get the California crew home like that logistically, I understand, but I really wish we got to see the Hawkins crew deal with like the immediate aftermath, getting back out of the upside down. Um, finding out what exactly happened, trying to navigate now that there's these giant uh, holes in the earth, or not holes, um, uh, canyons in the earth, Um, and having to emotionally deal with the aftermath, whether it be being shell-shocked or it's breaking down. Well, maybe not breaking down. I mean, it, 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 I don't know. It sounds like it may, I'm making it sound like I just want to see all of them be miserable, but that's not that's not what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to say like I want to see how they got back to the point where a they could get to their houses because you know Hawkins is kind of divided up now um, physically, um, but also just the um, the ramifications. It's the stakes were made. The the tensions high. Everything that could go wrong just happened. So now I want to see how our characters deal with it. Rather than two days later where everything feels way too 
hopeful. I mean, obviously, um, things suck for Max, and they show that. But and the um, the upside down is coming to Hawkins in the end. But even then, between the music, the visuals, the dialogue, everything feels way too hopeful and way too much like a like a like the ending of I don't know, like a superhero movie where it's it's not the ending of Infinity War. It's like the ending of Endgame. But I don't know, where like there's a minor there's a, yeah, there's a threat on the horizon, but we did it. We beat the issue. We are done. We did the big thing type uh vibe. That's what I get from it. And it just doesn't match the the previous bit. It doesn't match the stakes, it doesn't match the intensity, it doesn't match the actual events that are occurring. Um So I mean, I wish that instead maybe the California crew were informed of everything by L, and then seeing them reconcile that the fact that they weren't there in Hawkins to help, or that they themselves like couldn't really do anything to help, um, or just like them trying to find a payphone to even just call their family, um, that would have been cool. Um, also, why is no one given Dustin a crutch? <laughs> like he's limping. He he fucking like destroyed his ankle or leg or something and he's limping all around and no one gives him a crutch or a leg brace he's been physically he's visited visited the hospital and like the the makeshift uh uh um makeshift like pop-up tent hospital in the high school gym no one gives this man a crutch (laughs) um and then, oh yeah, there was a little, um, a cool little Easter egg. So Lucas, uh, in the hospital scene, um, was reading from The Talisman, which is a book by, I believe, Stephen King. And so the Duffer brothers, who, um, uh, were the creators of Stranger Things and are executive producers, are actually making a, um, or have started, I guess, have started up a production company, company now to make, like, kind of similar works along the lines of Stranger Things, at least in terms of tone. Um, And so one of the ones that's confirmed is an adaptation of The Talisman. So I thought that was kind of cool. And then, oh yeah, I made a note of this again for with the Max thing, Um, because some people basically said, oh, so she's going to, she's just going to come back. She's just, it's empty. That mind space is empty because she's in a coma. Um, but it actually has been confirmed um, by the Duffers in an interview that she is, um, oh, well, as obvious, all of her bones are broken. Um, <laughs> all of her limbs are very broken, but also that she's in a state of being brain dead. Now, this, um, I interpret it as not literally brain dead, as in, like, like she her brain is physically, uh, chemically fucked, but that she is in a state of not being able to be mentally present um, because her mind is gone. It is now with Vecna. Um, So that leaves the door open for a lot of possible plot points. I personally think it's probably going to go with um, either Max's body being a physical representation of Elle's guilt um, over her inability to save everyone uh, this season um, or it may be used, uh, in a similar way to Billy in season three as kind of a, for lack of better terms, meat puppet, um, for the big baddie. 
Um, so those are my my thoughts for where that could go for season five and how that might contribute. Um, and then we do have the cute moment uh, between Robin and Vicky when they're at the uh, gym making sandwiches. Um, uh, side note, in that scene, you see many loaves of bread. And on the thing, it says 29 cents. What the, how, like, I would love to buy a loaf of bread that's 29 cents these days. Like, what the fuck? Inflation sucks. <laughs> I hate it. Um, oh yeah, I wrote down, should I watch Fast Times? Should I watch Fast Times? I know nothing about the film other than that one timestamp having boobies, and that's it. Um, but... Uh, one thing I didn't know about that scene is they use, again, they use that same um, kids slash teens motif for the scene where uh, Robin and Vicky are interacting, uh, well, at least towards the end. Um, and so I, I really like that they did because this is one of the few normal teen things that any of them is able to do still. Um, and it's it's a very small moment of of. I, not not childhood innocence, but like teen. That that's you know what I'm talking about. That kind of like state when you're a teen, where it it's not innocence, but it's it's learning your about yourself and your surroundings a bit more. Um, not with naivety, naivete, but with with more with more optimism almost. Um, yeah. So I like that they use that. Uh, motif there for the score um and then again we see the eulogy motif used when dustin is speaking with uh mr munson um uh and that that whole scene was very powerful as well again um gaten matarazzo's acting was spot on um oh yeah no that one that one hurt um and then (laughs) again lighter note um, in the scene where they are cleaning up um, Hopper's cabin, uh, keep an eye on Mike and then also where the pile of leaves he's sweeping is. Because he literally ends up, he, he takes the broom and just sweeps the leaves further into the house rather than out the door into the woods. And then we see them again, him and Will, like on a couch. And in the corner of the screen, you can see that huge pile of leaves now in the middle of the room against a TV. Like, not even helpful <laughs> at all. Um, so that was, I found that just really funny. Um, and then, of course, you have um, Elle and Hopper reuniting, which I love. Um, I love their dynamic. thought it was very, very sweet. Um, and the whole uh, stole your look and it uh, looks bitchin' type thing. That was cute. Um, uh, and then I, my last written note of the season, I I decided to, like, look in the cre- at the credits just to see if, like, anything was there. And they made the weirdest choice I've seen in a while for credits. So the, the font and the... Um, opacity of the actual text of the credits so it's it's white and it's oh it's basically full opacity it's like a hundred percent um and they have a the the stranger things four logo the one with the four over over the middle of the word stranger things 
slowly grow from like a speck to filling up the screen but it's like a grainy version like it's a grainy version of the logo it has like that effect going down it but the the text that's covering it like the the text that's the actual credits is full opacity clean looking uh like roman font like R- times new roman font uh text so it just looks so out of place i don't know it just looks really strange to me um i don't know oh it's just weird uh but that is the end of my written notes um trying to think if there's other things i want to mention um I mean, I guess just overall for this whole season, I thought I really liked it. It definitely has some flaws. Um, it has some major pacing issues um, through the whole season, not just Volume 2. Um, but honestly, I've I've liked it. I like that it's kind of a return to form, um, both aesthetically and tone-wise, um, to Seasons 1 and 2. Season 3, I really... I mean, I... I enjoy it still. I like the the um the whole uh Billy like flayed subplot a lot and I do like a lot of the moments, the light like even in the lighter bits that feel almost out of place for the show. I do like the character interactions a lot in the music, but it it definitely felt strange for the series in terms of what already was established. Um but yeah, I know. Good season. Um, score is always great. CGI was good. The I mean, COVID definitely impacted the production and um, the actors, how they look. But I think with what they had, they did a really good job. Um, and in terms of, you know, what's supposed to be the main thing that we talk about on this podcast, um, in terms of... Uh, the queer um, depictions as well as mental health depictions. I think that the way that they show and explore um, mental health in the season is really interesting um, because they haven't really done that uh, in the previous seasons. Um, So I like that they really dig into and they also are able to use those supernatural elements that are already commonplace in the show to, um, to further uh make the f- almost the feeling of um those of like depression and those mental health issues um make that feeling tangible to an audience um and i like the hopeful message that they still have at the end of episode 4 um as well as i still like um the the ending while uh while a uh, dire one i think still it still works for the depiction they're trying to go for with max and the metaphor and everything um as for the queer representation i think it was still well done um on the robin front i think it was done really really well um i love her and steve's dynamic and steve as a perfect ally essentially never outing her um being supportive, both of them joking about relationships, um, all of that, uh, and then, of course, being friends with Nancy without being romantically or sexually attracted, um, as well as, uh, the, uh, whole thing with Vicky, 
her style, immaculate. Um, and Will, I mean, as I said, it's it's a hard balance. It's a hard balance. I like how it was written. I am unsure of of the real world um, the real world uh, usage of how it was depicted. I suppose I think the depiction itself is good. I just think the way it can be uh, used by uh, other people is what the issue is. Um, um, yeah, because I mean, even I, <laughs> this is this is just now going off on a tangent that I apparently started like forty minutes ago. Because um, I, so I'm I'm like a person who's on Reddit. Um, I enjoy just like popping into different subreddits. I'll ask some questions about some stuff that I do, like I like putting together um, old old uh, technology and stuff, um, or just shows I like. So that includes Stranger Things, and so. There was a lot of backlash against people um, talking about Will being gay for a while. There was a lot of people saying, um, and I mean, they would always include the straight couples in it, but they didn't actually, um, they, they didn't mean the straight couples. If Like, it was obvious. They would say that, oh, it's gross how all these, like, all these adults and people are are um are shipping these children and like assuming like p- forcing a sexuality on them they're teenagers they shouldn't have to they're like 15 they shouldn't have to uh know what they are like they shouldn't they don't deal you don't deal with it when you're that young blah blah, blah. um it was very thinly veiled uh homophobia for short because nobody Nobody did that when it was the earlier season. Nobody did that even in season three, when you know it. The part of the one of the subplots is just Lucas and Max, and then Elle and Mike being couples. That's it, you know. So yeah, so I don't know how that's gonna be taken by those type of types of people, um, and what effect that may have. But I still, I still think it was a good depiction. Um, and yeah, I guess that is the end of my episode. This went on a lot longer than I thought it would. Um, but yeah, so this has been my my discussion of Stranger Things, uh, season four, episodes eight and nine. Uh, as always, um, and mentioned at the beginning of the episode, uh, you can uh contact us at queerly a po- or not at sorry queerlyapodcast.com um or uh at on our twitter at queerly underscore podcast um let us know if you have any comments questions topics you'd like us to talk about specific pieces of media anything like that um as well as you can find us on um, many platforms, just straight up RSS. You can find us on Deezer, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts, I believe. Um, we are on Amazon Music. Uh, I tried getting Spotify to work. I don't know if we're on Spotify, uh, if, if it's gone through. Pandora, we aren't able to get on. But, you know, we're on most sites at this point. And the RSS website, uh, also just, you can go straight from there, um, no matter what platform you're on. Um, and yeah, I think that covers everything I need to cover. Um, let us know 
if you if you listen this far and if you feel like it, let us know what you think of of the little jingle. Uh, it's probably going to be changed uh, or at least altered um, by the next episode. But I thought I'd just put something there, um, make it feel more like I have my shit together. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I mean, I hope everybody stays safe, enjoys the beautiful summer air, um, and yeah. Go off, be well, stay queer, stay healthy. All right, we'll see you next time.